Welcome to Made in Australia. Ball Played's deep dive into the Australian games industry where we focus on an Australian-based studio and their upcoming game. Welcome back to Made in Australia. I am Zach Jackson and today I am joined by Emerge World's Tim Maloney. Hello. And Ben Ward. Hi. How are you going? Pretty yeah, good. Yeah, good, Zach. Good. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Great to have you on the uh, on the show. Great to Thanks be here. Thanks for having us. Excited to be talking all things Emerge Worlds and Dross. Thank you. So, Thanks for right. thanks for having us. No worries, no worries. So we'll uh, we'll kick it off. Just tell us a little bit about each of yourselves. Just some very very basic info. Whatever you want to share. Um, yeah, yeah, no problems. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm Tim. Uh, I yeah started out actually um, as an editor in film and TV. Uh, I've got a background in, in that side of things, and uh, yeah, uh, moved up to to Brizzy from Sydney originally. Moved up to Brizzy. Uh, I've been friends with Ben uh, since primary school, so a long time, uh, and we we got together and uh, yeah, I had we had a virtual reality headset at my old work. And we were pretty inspired by by uh, what virtual reality could do. And Ben and I caught up and, yeah, we decided to start a company called Emerge Worlds. And, yeah, we've been going for about six six years now. So, so quite, uh, you know, quite, quite a little bit of time. And our first game was a game called Dance Collider, which we, we, that was our first one that we made, which was a virtual reality dancing game. And, yeah, I've been working in sort of Unity and, uh, with all the tools ever since, uh, sort of like in a producer role, uh, doing a bit of music editing and script writing and, and all sorts of things like you do for an indie, indie game. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Cool. Uh, hi, I'm Ben. Um, yeah, I guess I'm the more creative director side of things. So, um, yeah, I got into games quite a while ago. Probably for I've been in games for about 20 years. Um, honestly, the, I think the first game I worked on was either PlayStation 1 or 2 back in the day. Uh, there was a big studio um, in Brisbane called Chrome Studios many years ago when I was kind of a concept artist for them for a, a long time um, and kind of continued on that role for you know most of my career, I guess, as a concept artist and, and game artist and... Um, yeah, I had the good opportunity to actually uh, live and work in Japan for about seven years in gaming game industry there. So that was a really cool kind of uh, kind of experience. And then came back here, and once again jumped back into games. Uh, more mobile. Did mobile for a long time as as it was back in the day, like you know, kind of 2012, 13, 14, at the height of the you know mobile. It kind of uh, that's when um, uh, Fruit Ninja, you know, was massive in Brisbane, obviously, and yeah. Then, uh, like, like Tim said, kind of brought us through to I think, yeah, like a few years later, and we caught up, and that's when virtual reality was really kind of kicking in some some interest, and we were like, yeah, let's let's give it a try. So uh, jumped into that, but yeah, really kind of been doing this for a while now, and. Um, yeah, doing it from definitely more of an art perspective. I'm, a, I guess, an art director. So, uh, and yeah, we're making Dross now, which is kind of a yeah. different game to our original one, but just as cool. 
So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So it sounds like both of you have been been around for a lot longer than than I first thought. Like um, most people that I kind of speak to or a lot of people, um, it's kind of their first project to a, to a certain degree um, and they're just getting started. But it sounds like you guys are quite experienced. Yeah, um, well, I guess yeah. Ben definitely has uh, a bit more under his belt than me in terms of in the industry. Uh, but, yeah, as a company, we, um, yeah, it couldn't be more different from our new game, Dross, which is an adventure game. Dance Collider, our first game, uh, was a, you know, virtual reality dance game. So, so very different from, from uh, Dross. But, yeah, we, we worked on that uh, when we initially sort of started uh, for, I think that took us around a, a year and a half or two years to develop, uh, about two years to develop. So, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun developing that. And then, um, yeah, we sort of went from Dance Collider into Dross. Ben came up with some initial sort of ideas and concepts for that. And yeah, I guess we've been working on Dross for, for quite some time now, sort of solely on, on that, uh, on Dross uh, at the moment. So uh, I think it's been a bit, you know, it's been over three years we've been working on that. So, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, fun in the process. But we've as a company, we've been, it's not our first game, obviously, Dross, but, uh, you know, it's sort of our, our second title that we're, we're making. Cool. All right, well, uh, let's let, let's talk about Dross for a little bit. So it's launching on July 20th, so it's very, very close. We're recording on uh, July 5th, so just over two weeks away. Um, very exciting. Uh, so what actually is it? What's the, what's the elevator pitch for, <laughs> for Dross? I mean, I can take that, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah, you take that, man. <laughs> uh, I, I think um, we were, it, the best way to describe it is, is we were, um, link it back to the, the core mechanic, which is this 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 kind of dual, dual character switching between these two characters. So you've obviously, you've heard of the buddy, kind of the buddy genre of, you know, Ratchet and Clanks and Banjo-Kazooies. And I, I think... You know, one of the real things that um, started us off was this idea. All right, let's let's kind of see how it would be if there were, we had these two characters that was kind of almost didn't like each other, <laughs> but they were forced to work together. All right, so it's kind of a, that's kind of where really the um, we had earlier iterations of the idea that we'd been kind of playing with, but I think that's when. Um, we, you know, we came across that idea. That's when it really started becoming more interesting as a concept. And so the idea that, you know, one of the little characters is a kind of an almost a kind of like a half dead little bounty hunter. And the other one is this thing called a dross, which is almost like a kind of a, you know, symbiote parasite thing, keep, keeping yeah. him alive. But the, the idea that dross like a snail need a shell to live in such that she grabs him and he's become social. So there's this kind of um, little bit of subversion of the buddy genre where it's like instead of this kind of, you know, two heroes saving the day, it's more, hey, can we get this? They need each other to survive. And, um, you know, we, we right from the start, um, I think part of Dross was really wanting to build a world, get a player and let them kind of dive into this world and, and really... Um, you know, get to know it. And part of that was coming up with story, a story that really we could take through 
based on the two characters as they went through kind of the banter between the two characters trying to work together fighting with each other not enjoying each other's company as they go through but with the catch-22 that they're literally attached to each other <laughs> they can't you know to solve puzzles you got to get through by using this switching of back and forth so i mean in terms of uh an elevator pitch i think that's a conceptually that's probably the best way to look at it but um other than that i think another thing as well is um as an artist um we just wanted to create a really immersive cool artistic world as well um so there's a lot in that as well yeah so I got a couple quick questions. Mm. Um, actually, well, I've got lots of questions, but uh, just by, just based on it's that, like, how um, do I unpack that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think we I think we took the stairs for that pitch. Um, that's the that, that's the stairway. <laughs> that's, that's right. The expanded version. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Um, no, that was really good. So, with the two player, sorry, not the two player, the um, two character system. I guess where did that kind of come from? Because uh, I, like one of the questions I've got here is it, it, it looks and plays from what I've played it uh, about a year ago kind of at PAX and maybe a little bit after that when I got the demo. It's, yeah, it does kind of have that classic platformer feel but with the modern like sensibilities like of, you know, like modern gaming. Um, yeah, so I guess were there any, I mean, you've spoken pretty much about like your banjo and your kazooies and, and that sort of stuff. Is that where the idea came from? You were like, you know, you're playing Ratchet and Clank going, not, no. Let's make one of these. To be honest, not really. No, I, I would only use those. I, I think I only use those examples um, to give people context of, of that kind of, you know, the, that idea of the subverting the buddy genre. But in terms of inspiration, I think um, fairly eclectic, but, um, you know, I can just reel off a few examples. Um, I mean, um, all of... Uh, for example, all of Dross takes place. Dross stages are diorama-like. They're compact rather than a you know flowing open world. So, you know, I don't know if you've played like uh, uh, Captain Toad Treasure Tracker by Nintendo. It's a little one where little Captain Toad Mario's Captain Toad walks around solving these little compact diorama-like puzzles. So that was one inspiration. So this okay. idea that, you know, you've probably been on YouTube and seen these people that make these crazy cool diorama models. And that was one inspiration. We wanted to make the stages like that. You could really explore. Um, another inspiration was honestly just f film that we loved, like Dark Crystal of the 80s, Dark Crystal, The okay. Labyrinth. So yep. um, this is coming from a more story perspective but we wanted to tell a slightly more uh, kind of dark and absurd story um reminiscent of the jim henson films of the 80s like if you've seen them dark crystal labyrinth things like that i think at least one of them when i was a kid but that's many 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 years ago so yeah yeah, yeah. so i mean they're they're two influences and in terms of just games like i think link's awakening the the chibi the recent chibi version of link's awakening was a really good reference for us in terms of actually how the game would play and look yeah mm. the um from when i first saw like this is from i hadn't even played it hadn't seen any footage just seen like key art or like you know screenshots and whatnot i kind of got um maximo vibes from um i don't know if you've ever 
remember that game on PS2 from Capcom. Um, uh, remind me. There's never so many played people. Maximo. Uh, it is. It is. Let me just do a quick. Let me just check. Yeah. The, uh, check. Check the Google here because I don't remember Google. the actual pitch. I'm going to Google myself. Um, it was called uh, Maximo Ghost of Glory, and it's uh, based on the Golden, uh, Ghost and Golems universe and features original character. Just kind of that. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of that kind of gameplay style, a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like. So that. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess um no definitely like you could uh, our little knight guy whose name is Captain. I can definitely see the resemblance there. So yeah. Yeah, like kind of it's like a third person. Hack and slash a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's got, got a more, mixture yeah. of, of elements. Um, I was going to say it's got, as the two characters, so Little Dross can, they've both got different abilities. So Captain can, is the bounty hunter with the sword. So he's, you know, clearing away enemies. Little Dross is really fragile and like a little, little ball of goo. So she actually reacts to the enemies differently when you jump out as her. She can... She has to stealth around. So there's a mechanic, a really cool mechanic in Dross where uh, if you get close to an enemy, it warns you. It, like, comes up and it's like you can't go too close to the enemy because if they see you, you'll you'll get instantly recalled. So you've got to use both character, you know, both characters' abilities to go through the dioramas, like Ben sort of said, and that Captain's a slasher. He can clear the way. Little Dross is an explorer. She can explore the environment. Um, and so, yeah, it's a dynamic between switching between both characters sort of as you progress up, up a tower, yeah. Is it possible to, or for, sorry, so if you're Dross and you're scooting about trying to do what you got to do and Captain is where they are, uh, can they be attacked? So you, you, you have to kind of manage. Uh, yes. Yes. Enemies, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah absolutely. If leave, yeah. If, if, if little Dross, I mean, the, Part of the original idea was the when she separates from him, it's a little macabre. That when she separates from him, whatever power is keeping him alive also separates. So he kind of goes in a limp state. Thus, yeah, yeah like you're saying, you don't want to leave him too near. Vulnerable, yeah, 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 yeah. So he can be attacked from enemies. So yeah, you do have to think about where you leave him. Uh, you know, you got to leave him in a safe spot. He can be you know, attacked from, we've got uh, ranged enemies in Dross that can shoot at him mm-hmm. and all sorts of things. So, yeah, you've really got to sort of think about where you, you leave uh, Captain when you jump out as little Dross as well, yeah. Yeah, nice, yeah, nice. The, the the other question I had was just I wanted to touch on the two-character thing again and was there ever at any stage of, of conceiving this idea where it was going to be a co-op game or the co-op would potentially mm. play a part at, at all? Or? We, we've had questions about that, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, um, and <laughs> it, I think it's it, it's an intriguing um, idea. I think it's we've we've all just been so heads down focused. I think getting the honestly just the single player <laughs> version of it working and it's has been uh, enough work for now. But I can I don't know. We've had that question here, yeah, and can, I can see can in the see future. It working. Yeah, there is this idea of. Co- I mean, the whole point is like you said, it's cooperating to solve a given puzzle. So I can see how you could do something with that. Yeah. Yeah. Dross, Dross 2, Dross 2, definitely. That's it. Definitely. Um, uh, yeah. yeah like you could have kind of like um, uh, not really similar, but like it takes two where you've got um, yeah. so when you, yeah. when you yeah, separate, love that game. Um, love that game. one person co- sort of controls Dross 
the other person controls captain. Yep. Uh, but I guess the question is what happens when they come together? Well, so, you could think of some really fun. Of like, yeah, yeah, maybe a player. Oh, yeah, you'd have to think who takes control of captain. You know, someone when, does combat and then other one someone does control the, the, yeah, the movement. Yeah, yeah. love it. I think you're, you're touching on, there's this kind of a little bit of this split brain idea when you think about this stuff. And I think that's part of it. Like it's like, yeah, it kind of does the head in. So that's, mm. I don't know. We've had a few cases where it actually works for us. <laughs> like that, like that idea of like one per uh, two people controlling the one character sounds like intriguing on paper. And then you probably go to play and it plays. And like, it, oh, so <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It would actually, uh, it may be, maybe Dross 2 won't, uh, you know, we'll think <laughs> yeah. about it, but yeah, you could with both the characters, different abilities, there is an interesting element there as well with, that you could do down the track with co-op. At the moment, it's sort of designed as though, uh, obviously it's a single player experience at the moment where, uh, as Ben was saying, when you you control one character at a time, uh, you know, them both yeah. together as captain and then you leave captain. But yeah, you could definitely see down the track some um, interesting scenarios with, like if you included a co-op element, uh, yeah, you could definitely, you know, have some fun there. Whether it would be fun for the player, yeah, I don't know. But, <laughs> you know. Definitely. Yeah. But, no, like it's, um, yeah, like I think uh, it's great that it's single player because personally I think too many games try and incorporate that uh, co-op element where I just, you know, I just want to hate everybody else. I just want to play games like by, by myself. By yourself, so, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, um, that, it, that's really cool. Um, we just got Dross onto the, well, not just, but a while ago, got onto the Steam Deck. And um, uh, yeah, it's I actually a really, that. really cool yeah. experience on that, like just sitting on the couch and, you know, playing it, playing it on the Steam Deck is really cool. So, uh, yeah, single-player games have their advantages as well, I guess, where you can be in your own world and, you know, that's switch it. everything off. That's it. Yeah. Um, just, just on the Steam Deck, uh, it was a question I had a little bit later but about platforms because um, it's only coming to PC, the various storefronts yes. first yep. on July 20. Um, but I always got the the vibe that, that this game is, is going to be great for something like the Switch. Yeah, yeah, um, we have as well. We have as well. Um, definitely, it, you know, Plant is going to be released uh, later on the Switch. Uh, it really suits... Like, that's what I was saying about the Steam Deck. It actually suits, like, a portable sort of moving around as well as a big screen as well. But it's really cool just to play it on the couch and uh, immerse yourself in the world. But um, I think the plans for us first, as a really, we're a really small studio, we sort of only have three core team members, uh, us and Dion, who's our sort of, uh, who looks after all the programming side of things. Uh, so for us as a small team, I think it was... Uh, we're, we're, we're making Dross within Unity on the PC. Uh, we, we'll get it out to PC first, um, you know, a solid version out there for that, and then, you know, plans ahead to release on all of the consoles. So, yeah, get it, definitely get it to Switch. Uh, definitely suits it. Uh, I guess uh, it's all, I mean, we've already built it to the Switch, so we've already had a, you know, working on that. Uh, just in terms of, as I said, our release sort of plans, to incorporate all those consoles in our release, it would have been a very, it would have been a little bit delayed in terms of, uh, you know, working on all those different versions at the same time. And for such a small studio that we are, um, yeah, it would have been quite quite a challenge, yeah. You're not uh, saving it for the Switch 2? You're not one of those cheeky devs that's got Ooh. the... Uh... 
the no. deck. <laughs> well, depends how long it takes, man. <laughs> well, not yet. We um, we've got the Switch dev dev kits and stuff like that. But I mean, I'm sure it'll work great on Switch too as well. <laughs> yeah. So um, you kind of did a, a good pivot there to the studio, and how you've kind of got three kind of uh, three members. Um, is the studio? I'm guessing it's a full time operation. Um, yeah, and not yep. yeah, not sort of like a part time gig. Yeah, nice. Um, and I know you, you you kind of touched on most of this uh, question before, uh, but I guess is there any more to how the st- the studio came about? Because um, when I was doing a bit of yep. research, uh, I like I kind of got you know I did I did I saw that you were very much a, a VR studio first. Yep, um, yep, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, like it, was there a particular reason why you chose to make VR games over traditional games, or? Oh, I think um, that's a really interesting question, actually. Yeah, we, I think it was the fact when VR first came out. Uh, as I said, we had a um, at my work, we had the Oculus, the first Oculus dev kit. Um, so I saw some of the experiences in that myself, and that really excited me. I thought you could do, you know, it was a new. Uh, gaming market I guess a new way to do things so so that was super exciting for me personally like in terms of I, I thought we could create something really cool in, in VR um, just to give you a little bit of you know backstory as well about our studio we we did actually also do some client projects which helped as well early on which were in the VR space as well so uh, we did some really interesting client projects I think maybe uh, we pivoted because you know, I guess the VR hardware for us was taking time to catch up to what we wanted to do for the next project. So uh, we sort of, we started out, you know, thinking about Dross for VR, but we actually pivoted, you know, early on, very early on to, you know, flat screen PC because we felt that, you know, the experience is actually better on a, a PC than it is on the VR headset. So... Ben, yeah, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, but yeah. No, I think it was, it happened fairly naturally in terms of as the game developed, it just was clear that it was going to suit traditional more than VR, and and that was just something we embraced as we, you know, at the right at the start, we were like, hey, and you know, I think an, uh, even from a practical point of view, um, you know, we know we knew we wanted to get we wanted to make the game and get it to a bunch of different platforms. And I, I, you know, there's 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 more platform more opportunity out there that's right. with yeah. a flat screen yeah. game than when with a VR title. So I think honestly that was a practical decision that kind of took part in it. But um, it just honestly the first prototype it just developed developed and we were like, no, no, this this suits this more. So so before I kind of go into VR a little bit more, I, I do I have uh, I did see you've done some some client work. Um, one cool one I saw was uh, John Ambulance. Uh, yeah, where you yeah. did some VR first aid training. Uh, like, how did that even come about? <laughs> and like, what like, what is it? Like, how does it work? What, what is it? How does it work? Uh, well, that was a again a really that was a really cool project that we worked on. Uh, in I would say, I mean, it's probably still early days for VR right now. But in the earlier days of VR, uh, yeah, Ben had. Um, you know, a friend uh, that he'd worked with. Well, maybe I can let you tell the story, Ben. But yeah, basically, uh, we, um, you know, we had an offer to make a prototype for St. John. 
uh, it was in the early days, so we were using some really interesting tech. We were using, uh, we tried a whole bunch of different things so you could track your hands. This was before VR had any hand tracking capabilities. So um, we were using a, a few different pieces of hardware to track hands. And we did a prototype for them, which was one scenario, uh, one first aid scenario. First aid where component. Component where uh, you, I think you, you had to revive somebody who had had, had uh, some issues. And it was a really cool project uh, that, you know, in terms of releasing that for them, I'm actually not sure if it, it hasn't been fully released yet, you know, in terms of uh, we developed it for them. It, you know, they were, they were sort of waiting for the hardware to get better as well, the VR hardware that, you know, when Oculus and maybe Apple as well coming into the market will help that. Uh, but super interesting project. One of my favourite parts of that were, was that we actually integrated voice into that so you could talk to the person, ask them how, the, how are you, and you could interact with them. So uh, that's how it started. And uh, it actually... After we made the prototype, we we were offered to do I think it was thirty two from memory diff, different first aid scenarios. So uh, you you would put on the headset and you would um, talk to whoever the, the you know the NPC character was, ask them what was wrong with them, and then you get measured on how you do in terms of uh, if it's asphyxiation, you have to uh, you know do go through the, the process and, and it measures you as well. So it's a really interesting way of training. I think it's still the future of that training. It, as I said, just maybe the hardware needs to catch up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've done first aid training a couple times now. Um, and that would probably be a more interesting. Definitely. I uh, think so. Just well, it was kissing a mannequin. It but, was, um, um yeah. one, thing, one, one thing that was cool for me as well, was that it was, um, I mean, this is kudos to the their manager at the time, who Tim mentioned I knew. But yeah. right from the start, he it was okay to make it also a creative world. So it's it would it actually took part the the whole system took part in a futuristic setting. So which is and had a character and everything. Yeah, they had yeah. A, a little uh, robot character that, that was the narrator. I mean, it was it was almost reminiscent of the Astro Boy world, um, and it was a futuristic little med robot taking you through the VR cycles and the um, the processes. But that was cool because it could very well easily have been not that. It could have been quite bland and you know yeah. regimented boring yeah, yeah exactly so i remember that was for me really cool because it was like you know getting people into these experiences one thing that you want to do is get them excited to do it as well um and and you know part of it is you know they say making something that could be potentially you know fairly regimented and process driven fun to do basically yeah so, yeah yeah and I, I would just say one thing that did affect that project, we actually finished our part of the work on it, but COVID came along. Uh, that was, you know, just in that period. And I think it was, uh, I don't want to speak for St. John, but much harder to uh, roll out the headsets to the schools at that time uh, because no one wanted to share anything. So uh, people enjoyed playing VR, you know, obviously in their home. Uh, that's great, you know, single, but... I think it, it affected the industry a little bit in terms of 
the public exhibition of VR around that time because nobody wanted to share someone else's headset and things like that. I think maybe now people are opening up again to that world. So, yeah, exciting times. The other project I just saw while scrolling was called Spaces, um, which looked kind of yeah. interesting. Um, I didn't really quite – well, I thought I, I would let you tell me more the, the, about what that was. Yeah, that was actually like uh, the idea for that was being able to jump into VR and design your own space. And so so the, the idea would be that, you you know, you have a, an apartment building and each level is very similar. Uh, each apartment's similar. There might be sort of four variations of layout within the, the building and spaces could, uh, you could go into the, you know, your set apartment and change the environment change see what what like what wall paint looked good does that oven look good here is that desk uh going to suit this area that was the idea behind spaces uh that you could sort of fit out your apartment uh and i guess the next iteration of that would have been uh to uh you know you'd be able to order the products you know from from that um i guess that's the more sort of corporate side that we were on uh, working on some of those projects maybe I think probably a couple of years ago and we sort of have diverted, you know, fully into into games, you know, since that few years ago to, to now. So, yeah, that was the idea behind Spaces. So uh, just to, speaking of Spaces, it is I'm trying to guess, but are you – do you guys have like a little work – um, do you have like a like an office, or do you work from home? Or we we did actually have an office, yeah. So we're all uh, located in Brisbane here, and Ben would drive up a lot from Gold Coast because Ben lives down the Gold Coast. So uh, we we did have a space. Um, we haven't had a we've been remote recently, um, but uh, Ben is obviously uh, in his Ben's in a, a place down the Gold Coast there, and. Um, but yeah, we've yeah. mostly been remote, sort of, you know, for the last year or so. So yeah, it kind of. I mean, honestly, like everyone, like so many people, it was just triggered by COVID at that point. Yeah, and it was triggered we were by in COVID. a place, and yeah. we were actually like many other people, we were re- re- recommended to vacate at that point and go home. Yeah, and I think it really was. It was kind of a bit of a juncture point. Like I think Saint the Saint John stuff was finishing up. We were kind of head down on Dross working on that. And we just gradually got used to remote so much and it just kind of yeah. worked. <laughs> do you do you prefer remote or do you Ooh, think that in, in this in, industri- uh, industry uh, it's better to kind of have someone there to be able to bounce off? Mm-hmm. Or? I, I'd say positive. Yeah, both, I'd say yeah. Yeah. Both, honestly, if you could have okay. both, like it, maybe I can't choose both, but <laughs> <laughs> we don't. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I a bit of both. Yeah, for me, like, um, I th- honestly, I think we've got pretty good at it. We're so used to it now. We got actually, better at it. Yeah, through, yeah. We kind of read each other's mind a little, but um, maybe I can speak as an artist. I, I think there's something to be said, at least working with art- artists, creative to be kind of over someone's shoulder or with them and you know chatting Same. about that part of it that that's definitely cool to be there sometimes but um 
Yeah, I don't know. That's an int- I guess it's different for everyone. But, yeah, yeah, we've yeah. gotten better at it. I think uh, over the you know since we've been doing it, we I think when we first started, you know, when everyone was you know forced to go home and separate, it was definitely a bit of getting used to. Maybe, um, maybe that maybe that had to do with Dross's concept. Dross separa- separation. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, there you go. Yeah, subconscious. But, uh, I think. We actually, um, the way we sort of work is, we, as I said, we've got a very small team. So we catch up pretty much every morning on Discord, through Discord, and uh, go through sort of what we worked on the day previously in the afternoon. Uh, we're constantly communicating through Discord. So it's, it's, it's a constant thing, jumping in video chats. Uh, definite Sharing screens benefit. all day Yeah, long. but yeah. I, I would say there is a benefit in being in the same space. Uh, as other people and, and we we do catch up it's probably not as regularly because what happens with game you get so busy doing your part of what you're doing in the game that the catch-ups uh you know they, they're so important but you know you want to get your bit done so uh we, we do catch up you know up in brizzy up here sometimes and all get together and play through through dross have a chat about things and that is definitely good to do um but yeah, there's benefits and you know, I guess uh, some negatives as well from that's, working from home. I was just gonna jump. That's a re- that's a really good point. I feel like if I could think back in the last few years, the jumps forward in design decisions um, happened in those catch ups. When you get that, up, yeah, when you get yeah. together. I would say that's pretty true. Where the three of you are right together and on the sofa just playing. That that I could track those times as they're the times when we made the big leaps so yeah that's interesting i guess yeah look i don't want to get the blame for uh you guys going back into the office <laughs> <laughs> no, um, we'll have to have one half halfway between gold coast <laughs> yeah. and brisbane uh, whatever whatever's there but um yatala yatala pies yeah, yatala yep good pies um the other thing just on that that i've found with speaking with other developers who do remote work, right, or work from from home? Um, the I've I've always got this idea that indie devs have this crunch, right? But it's not like forced crunch; it's kind of like self imposed crunch. You're at home, your desk, yeah, your yeah. workstation's right yeah, there. Yeah. Yep. Why am I not working on the game? You know, yep. how dare I sit on the couch and you know enjoy a few hours, you know, peace and quiet. Do, how have you kind of got that work-life balance in your remote working? I, yeah, that's a challenge. Yeah, challenge. yeah, it's challenging. I To answer that, I I saw this clip of the developers of Breath of the Wild. It was a documentary and it was interviewing the core team of them. And when it was done, the interviewer asked them, so guys, what do you do in your free time? And then there was just this silence. Silence, and I, and I, I thought that's so true. Um, but yeah, like it's it's hard, and I think it's always on your mind. Definitely, like you're always thinking about what to do next or that particular bug or whatever. Um, yeah. But I think you, like I'm just speaking on behalf of myself, but you've got to compartmentalize your brain a bit, and you've got to force that. Comp- compartmentalization a little bit in your own brain otherwise you'll go crazy (laughs) so it's like maybe sure part of you is always working away at it but you you got to kind of 
maybe put that here a little bit and it, it is, be, uh, be able to be at challenge. home as well. Yeah, I think we've been through periods of spikes, you know, where yeah, yeah. sometimes we, we do put a self-imposed deadline, early, you know, earlier on in the development where because you do find yourself going a little bit off, you know, on, in different directions and you sort of put that deadline and then you that forces you to sort of have a goal. Um, but, yeah, for me it, it is hard to – I think it is a challenge to separate – to turn your brain off, like Ben said, because the computer is always sitting there. And as a small team, there's always something to do. And and Ben's side as well, like Ben does all the art for Dross, which is, or you know, a lot of the art. So it's it's a massive job there. Uh, I do some of the social media things and things like that. And um, yeah, it's definitely hard to switch off between the, and plus we're in Unity or, you know, developing, you know, you know, inside Unity as well. So uh, it's important, but it's definitely hard to do because the computer is is always staring at you. <laughs> like, you can do more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the So I, I want to go back a few a few years, quite a few years, and I just want to get your, what's kind of your earliest memories of, of video games and, and I guess what, what is, what made you want to actually start making games as a, career yeah uh well ben i can let you go yeah. first on this one all right yeah sure i think um i mean we i we i would say a more child of the 80s 90s so those that that's the generation of games i think that probably stuck with me but um i think personally speaking it was being able to be kind of plumped kind of put into a world from my from my perspective really and that i more than film and tv for me at the time i was amazed at you know the the game how you could do that with a game to be able to take someone and plump them into a world and fully immerse them in this world and walk around and chat to the characters and and kind of it was this one dimension more than film <laughs> and i think um and you know i like i I went through the early games, like my first game was an Amstrad PC um, adventure games, um, you know, and then into the 90s, the Monkey Islands, um, Ninten- uh, the the Super Nintendo. So I think it yeah. all kind of, um, you know, I, it all kind of had an effect on me. But also as well, I'd say equally equal parts film and animation, honestly, massive um kind of film and animation buff over the years so for me it kind of all maybe it's all one bubbling cauldron of inspiration i think um but um yeah i think if you like your question is specifically about games so i'd say yeah it was the games for me personally where uh, story was really important story character and you know you could finish the game and think wow i just i played a cool game but i also went through a bunch of awesome characters that were really funny, really cool world that immersed me. That that was big for me. Yeah, for me it was, I mean, lots of game memories, the ones that sort of stand out. For some reason, Golden, was it Golden Axe? <laughs> Golden <laughs> like, Axe? Uh, very, on the Mega Drive? Yeah. Uh, well, PC think, as well, I think. It was on PC, PC. I, but it was on, it was on Mega Drive as well, yeah. Uh, so that sort of... I loved that game, and arcade. It was on arcade as well. 
So that um, other memories are like ones that really stand out where, where you could get together with your, your friends and play GoldenEye on 60, Nintendo 64. That was like the amount of hours that we spent playing multiplayer on that was, was huge. You know, one shot, one kill, uh, Mario Kart, uh, obviously. Like a lot of Nintendo games um, for me. Um, Street Fighter 2, Tim, we should mention. Street Fighter 2, love Street Fighter 2. Uh, that was just, I played so much Street Fighter 2, it was crazy. We actually had an arcade machine down at the local shops uh, and we'd come home from school and we'd have our coins ready and, um, yeah, you'd, you'd verse each other on Street Fighter 2 and there was always this one player down there that was so good. He didn't go to our school but he used to kick our butts and he used to use Dalsim, I remember that. He had a technique where you couldn't beat him. But, you know, just those memories, those games... Uh, Specifically, the Nintendo games. Uh, I always had Nintendo consoles the whole way through. So, Metroid, uh, you know, all the Mario games and Mario Kart and Zelda, of course, and yeah, those ones. So, your friendship uh, dates way, way, way back to when you were kids from. Yeah. Which I think I read that, and you may have said it previously, but I didn't realize it went like that far back. <laughs> it's a long, um, long time. Yeah, yeah. So since yeah. Um, primary school in Canberra. So uh, Ben Canberra. and I. There you yeah, go. Ben in old Canberra. Um, St. Matthew's Primary School. So, yeah, it dates back a long time. And uh, Ben moved up to, to Brizzy and we still stayed uh, in touch. And then, you know, Ben, as he said, went over to Japan and we mm. still remained in, in touch. And, yeah, so we've been friends for a long time. Yeah. So, I mean, if you can remember, how did you, like, what interests back then, like, did you kind of oh, share yeah. that? <laughs> Video no, games. Video I, games. I, I was going to say. I, I Movies? Think Predator? Yeah. Predator? Predator. We actually it's made a short a cool, film. Yeah, we made yeah. a short film. Oh, called, right, okay. What is it? Pred- was it pre- I think we called it Predator 3 because Predator yeah, 2. Yeah. No, seriously. Predator, Predator 2, 2 was out. just come out. And so me and Tim, like I, we borrowed uh, my grandfather's uh, video camera and we went to my house. And I think even at that time, like Tim was acting as the producer and like he was kind of <laughs> organizing things and, you know, I was kind of on the camera and whatever. Yeah. But, um, um, yeah, you know, and I think we enlisted the uh, free services of my younger siblings to, yep. to play the people that yeah. got killed. Um, by the predator, <laughs> copious amounts of tomato sauce. I remember, but nice. yeah. Um, yeah. So we did it. That was cool because it was yeah. like it. That was. I feel like that was either still the eighties or almost just the nineties, but um, it was maybe I'm biased, but it was a. That was my memories. There were so many cool games. Such a cool time for games. Um, not maybe not sophisticated games, but in terms of getting back to that thing about just cool experiences, cool characters, um, and, you know, film and animation as well. So I think they're they're my memories, like all the great game video games we played and and Yeah, I was going to say uh, Akira as well. Like that was around a little bit around that time and some of those Fist of the North Star. So, I mean, it's a whole bunch of things, including games that we sort of, Built a so, yeah. just so I can get a, an idea in my head, this Predator 3 film, that would have, you would have made that in 
in what year? Oh God, it maybe early like just coming into the nineties. It would have been, uh, yeah. Or, so, you know, yeah, like yeah. high school, high school, primary. Oh school no, I'd we were. Before, I think we were in before high school, like definitely probably before like high school. Probably like grade five yeah. or six, I reckon. Yeah, probably right. Yeah, right. yeah. So we were really young. Um, it was. Gee. I think I wouldn't. I don't know where that exists. That film, I, but it'd be cool to <laughs> dig it up because I think it had some cool special effects. Yeah, it could be a little um, thing in in Dross if you like uh, get like a perfect oh, an like, a, like a perfect yeah. playthrough. You yeah, watch your yeah. That's actually a really good but idea. I, <laughs> I think I think Tim literally got a jacket. Like I think you just put the jacket over your head, and that was the predator. <laughs> that was the the predator. But hey, man, yeah, you know yeah. high production yeah. values of, yeah. of, of ten year olds. Uh, th- things you do when you're uh, when you're kids, eh? Uh, so yeah. Was, Sounds great. So, okay, so you've obviously, so then you moved to, to Brisbane and you stayed in Canberra, but when you, I guess, uh, uni and qualifications and stuff-wise, did did either of you tackle any kind of game design, animation, filmography kind of courses or you just um, went well, straight into it? I, uh, I did media production. So okay. that was more focused on uh, film and TV. And that's after I finished that degree, uh, which was a kind of, and I did creative writing as well. Uh, you know, as well as the media production degree. And, yeah, I guess once I finished that degree, I sort of more went into the editing side of things with uh, film and TV and then worked as a producer and things like that in that industry. Uh, But that's what I studied. Um, Yeah. Yeah, funnily enough, I I did architecture for years (laughs) and then uh, I did go into animation for a little while after that. Um, But... It was all kind of related, if you know what I mean. Like I still, architecture is still in my paws. And, you know, I am, I guess, a concept artist by trade. So, you know, obviously. And even if you look at, maybe even if you play Dross, you'll probably see a little bit of that in the the dioramas. Like a fascination with architecture. And it's almost like thinking back to, you know, things like, uh, I'm sure you've seen like the MC Escher the, the are you, staircases, you know, the, the staircases of MCH. Those it's really abstract. Surrealist. Abstract. Um, Maybe if I saw them, I yeah, you'll. I think you'll know when you see it. M C E S C H E R. Um, it's the. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah you've okay, seen those yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, even if you play Dross, you're probably like, oh, okay, a little bit of that in there. But so I studied yeah architecture and and um, but never formally games. I think. Um, as many people would say, probably many people in indie in, indie games as well, like the best learning is on the job. Um, and definitely I'd say like with all the great stuff I learned at Chrome, Chrome was just Chrome Studios, really put me through the ropes and a lot of talented people there. But also my time in Japan as well, that really kind of a different take on game development um, and probably certain things that I wouldn't have got in the West that I kind of soaked up a little. Yeah. Um, are you able to share, like, like, I guess where you did work and what you worked on when you went to Japan? None of the famous companies. <laughs> Let's get that. Um, it was just a, um, uh, one of the places was called floor studios. The other was called in funnily enough, indie studios, I N D Y. Um, but, uh, at the time, um, funnily enough, at the time, Xbox, what did they call it? It was like a very early kind of, um, 
I can't remember, like a community d developer push for Xbox that we jumped on board. So we did a bunch of prototypes and early games for that. Uh, uh, what is it called? Wii, I think. Um, DS. DS. Worked on a few DS mm. games. Um, and also one interesting note um, about probably the non the non big Japanese game companies like there are obviously a lot of you know mid, more mid sized same with everywhere more mid sized companies and a lot of the time they in their company they have a component which is making games but they also have a component which is also sometimes making pachinko which is the gambling games as well and probably for monetary reasons um yeah, that, that's the really well. <laughs> you know a lot of the times it's a very common business model in japan so that it's this kind of umbrella thing where you have a team working on games which everyone wants to make and then you have a team working on pachinko games but i worked on a few pachinko games which is okay. actually great it was oh, it was an awesome experience because i don't know if you've ever been to japan but you go in the pachinko parlors and all the little metal balls are falling down bah, 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 really loud and smells like tobacco um but <laughs> like a typical pokey like a slot yeah, yeah like a pokemon it's exactly like that but you know on the screen in front of you same with the the pokies they have animation animations and game like um like uh, input uh not input like kind of feedback so you'll have an like uh, the animations of how well you're doing or how bad you're doing or whatever and so yeah i've worked on a few of those which is really cool um, some samurai pachinkos, and, yeah, right. But yeah, it was just a different take, like that I probably wouldn't have got, yeah, otherwise. Yeah, how um, interesting. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> didn't uh, didn't expect that. Uh, no, that's yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's definitely helped your, um, you know, your career go the way it it has, and, and give you kind of those different experiences to what I mean. No one else I've ever spoken to here has got that. That, experience. that same experience. That so, experience, yeah. It's funny I should mention, though, like one, whether it was a game or a pachinko title, like it really was that consistent thread that there was this absolute high quality standard demanded of any of them, regardless. So whether it was, yeah. you know, you were doing something super cool for DS, it didn't matter whether you wait, you know, there was just this demanded... Mm. Kind of exceptional level perfection. For all of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one one quick thing that I've just um, kind of thought about is uh, you kind of mentioned these Japanese companies that do the pachinko machines, but then you have a lot of uh, Western companies that do the games. But then in those games, you have a lot of like loot boxes and oh, uh, yeah, monetization. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, what's the worst evil? Is 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 it you know a company like? You know, a Japanese developer like Konami, for example, and you know they maybe they make a Metal Gear Solid, and it's got no microtransactions in it. But then half of their business is literally making machines for gambling. But yes. you've got uh, one of X number of companies over here in the West, and then then you've got this game, but it's full of you know stuff. So it's like, well, which one do you? Yeah, you know, I, there's the, definitely. Well, actually, I think when we was we're doing dross, but you know, we talked a little bit about this, but there's definitely that site, that loop. I think that, mm. you know, that reward, you know, what's in the loot box. It, it's definitely a, a thing that's in. The old carrot uh, on the stick, eh? Yeah, the old carrot on the stick. It's in gambling machines as well. I mean, it just filters down 
Um, and that actually with Dross, we made a conscious decision not to have any of that stuff. And I think a lot of indie game studios in Australia do that as well. Like yeah. they want to be the opposite of that, but it's definitely a very complicated business that you can incorporate into your, your game as well. Um, yeah, there's a yeah. whole, it's a whole other thing. I think, I think Ben, you were saying it's an actually a person's role in, in the company is to come I mean, up with those, obviously the, the systems. The yeah, systems. Many times it would be built around that i guess rather than the other way around you know what i mean yeah. you would build a game yeah. around that rather than the system yeah build that around a game yeah <laughs> but there must be um some form of like some on some level there must be uh, a, a similar like dna or formula to kind of get that i think you one of you might have mentioned it, that kind of rewarding experience so you do keep playing you know i guess on one yeah. side it's, you're winning a little bit of money but on like Dross or any other game, it's you feel you're achieving rewarded. something or you're, you're collecting, or you're you're collecting yeah. things. Yeah, in Dross, that sort of reward um, system is uh, you, you're collecting items, like rare sort of items, but also a cool, a cool uh, like, again, it is that feedback of wanting people to, you know, continue going through all the, all the stages, like keep them interested. But I think one interesting thing we put into Dross is the unlocking of lore, like story. So you can go, it encourages exploration as well. So you can explore a stage and then unlock some of the story that if you didn't explore, you, you wouldn't see. So, I mean, that's one thing that we have in Dross. With other things, you can collect uh, things called Blood Rock uh, and also uh, Moderats, which are these rare sort of alchemical devices. So... We have that in Dross as well, um, but probably yeah, there's definitely some really complicated systems you can come up with uh, if you go the nth degree of that as well. Yeah, uh, Tim, I know you said that you mentioned that you <clears throat> kind of have more of a background in film and and animation or uh, media. Yeah, are there are there any kind of bigger or, or or known projects that you've kind of worked on that you've taken oh, uh, learnings from and kind of put them into Dross? Or into other projects that you made? Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to. It's it's like Ben trying to think back. Um, mm. Yeah, it's a lot a long time ago. Yeah, so I sort of, um, in terms of learnings and what what not, like I went from editing, as I said earlier on, like as an assistant editor um, for production houses that were doing multiple projects, uh, and I, I went from there um, and sort of went into editing on my on my own accord. Uh, yeah, in terms of things I've worked on, uh, just a lot, I guess a lot of Australian type uh, projects, um, more indie sort of films. I think, uh, the, yeah, there was one called In Cold Light that I worked on, and a few few other ones back in the day. Uh, but also, I guess when I progressed to sort of producing, I I did work for some advertising agencies and also production houses as well. So things for like Heineken and uh, ads for Corona and um, I worked also with MTV on a whole bunch of things and, yeah, we went around like with touring bands and made things with them as well. So a whole range of different projects. Uh, yeah, in terms of what I've, I've learnt, it was... I guess with some of those I was producing, so just organising different resources. I think producing, you know, you've got to deal with money. Like, so 
you got to pay people. Uh, so there's that side of it as well that you, you learn. So you've got to, you know, make sure that the project doesn't run too far over the budget because where's that money coming from? And uh, so just sort of resource management in, the, in that way, but also um, organising shoots and stuff like that. So I'd crew, say, I was just going to say yeah. music, music in general from Tim as well. Like, yeah. you, you know, your contribution to just the last six years of Emerge Worlds, the projects in terms of Dance Collider, all the way through to Dross and even St. John, just that kind of audio. Um, yeah, an audio component. Brain as well. So, yeah, multiple things uh, across the, the years that I've learnt um, that I've sort of brought into the games. And there is a technical side too, like for... I think for Dance Collider, we actually, we motion captured, you know, a lot of the dancers in Dance Collider. So we we had um, Xbox cameras that did that. And, and that was sort of a technical side of things that I might be able to sort of help as well with certain projects, like bring a little bit of that technical things to make it easier. So we didn't have to animate the characters. We didn't need animation. They're all motion captured. Uh, so yeah, definitely a lot of different, very eclectic sort of background coming all into pretty much what we're doing in Unity now with everything. Like Unity can do music. Unity can, you know, there's cutscenes in Dross, there's characters, there's, it can all be done sort of in Unity now for us. So we definitely bring a background of all these different areas that come together. It's like a Unity is our little production. <laughs> House, it's just our little, little production thing. studio yeah. now. And yeah, instead of, yeah. I'm glad you brought up money because that's always a question I or, or a topic I, I do like discussing with um, indie devs. And so I've got a couple of different questions here. But uh, in regards to Emerge Worlds, is, is that game – sorry, is that game? Is that studio kind of just self-funded? Like, like are you just yeah, – your own money yeah. has just been put into kind of making it work? Because I, I, I do know that you received funding from Screen Queensland. Yes, um, and Screen Australia as well. Yes, uh, yeah. for Dross? Yes, yeah, for Dross. Yeah. So that is actually, um, I would say that has helped us a lot as a small studio. Uh, I think when we first sort of started with Dance Collider, you know, however long that was, maybe five or six years ago, there weren't many options for funding uh, then. And over the last sort of maybe three or four years, Screen Australia has gotten behind games and Screen Queensland is definitely putting more into games as well. So that has been really beneficial for us, uh, applying for that funding and getting that funding. That's that's really helped us. So that's one way and as well as, you know, uh, you know some copies sold on the last game. Uh, sales start to decline over time for, you know, your last project. So, you know, you've got to sort of balance that with, um, you know, managing the studio in a way where you're, it's hard hard to do, but yeah, you're not spending. You know, you're 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 very uh, careful about you know what you can uh, allocate sort of money wise to other parts of the project, and and also I guess when is the right time for a person to come into a project? Like early on, we weren't ready for you know someone to help out with certain level design or you know animation elements and things like that, and so just making sure. Um, this is just me, me speaking as well, just making sure that uh, that 
you're ready for if you do bring someone into the project that that part is ready for them to to work on because you you can't afford to waste a lot of time it, and money. I think that's the word. The word is waste, isn't it? It's just like you just can't afford to really waste any little bit, really. And that's yeah. I think we've got pretty good at that. <laughs> it's just yeah. like do what you need to do, and if you can do it as efficiently as possible, then you can probably get there. Yeah. Mm. Do you, do you outsource much work? Like, are there, are there many contractors that have worked on Dross? Uh, yeah, like we've had. Uh, I wouldn't say it's not a massive, you know, amount of people that have helped us, but we've definitely had um, people come in along the way. Um, you know, people that have helped with some of the animation aspects. Uh, obviously, art. Uh, not obviously, but art aspects that um, have worked with Ben on three uh, D models and things like that, and a character designer, so we had a character designer as well early on uh, help us working with Ben as well, like do the main characters in Dross. So uh, we've got a composer, Aravain, who is a German uh, composer, electronic music composer, so he has helped us as well. Um, but we, we do bring in people when we need them. Uh, at the moment we've got, uh, you know, there's Dylan is helping us with, you know, he's helped us with some of the level design and things like that along the way. So he's been great. Um, and we've brought other people in over time. But not a, not a huge, Ben, would you say not a huge team of people? That no, we... pr- pretty, yeah, um, pretty small comparatively, I would say, yeah. Um, what do you reckon the, the max or the highest number of people that have been working for this team at any one point? Probably Honestly, early, like earlier oh. on, like, yeah, yeah, probably like, like not at many. one point four, maybe. Or five. Was four that, or five. Oh, four, four or five. five. Right. Okay, right. Four or five earlier on. Um, and then that that, yeah. that goes down to like three and then it might go up again and come down. But right. pretty close to the core team most of the time, yeah. The other question I had in regards to funding was that you guys ran a Kickstarter. Uh, I think that was last yeah. year or year before. Uh, what are we... Like it was probably about three months ago. Oh, really? Oh, so it's only quite recent. Well, yeah, it could have been slightly longer than that ago, but yeah, it was relatively recent. Yeah. Yeah, but you had um, you had a goal of fourteen thousand, and you hit just over twenty one. Yeah, we uh, actually, which um, would have been great. Yeah, we. That's right. Yeah, we ran a short campaign, uh, to really just help us out in the final stages of production. So. Uh, that we we set a, you know it's a, again a relatively low threshold fourteen some games you know can get uh, hun, you know go into the hundreds of thousands but we that money is re- we knew what money we sort of needed to just get dross you know released so that money's really helped us uh, even though we ran a short a re- short campaign I think it was less than the 30 days it was 14 days and um we didn't have a long lead up to the campaign as well so we're actually really happy with that result yeah yeah because i've spoken to a few people and it's a mixed bag in terms of kickstarter about whether um it was worth it uh, even if they are successful uh, because there's just so much stuff you've got to kind of do it's a lot of work i guess um the more rewards you have i guess the more issues that can come up and that's true uh, uh you know uh it, it's a balancing act and that 
yeah, it's definitely a balancing act. Um, again, Ben put a lot of work into the art of our Kickstarter campaign, which is time consuming, but also thinking about the rewards as well. We, we were only offering digital rewards because we actually knew that we could get those to people. Yeah, they I've seen campaigns run into a few issues with some of the physical rewards, let's say. You've got to post them out to people. and uh, So, yeah, I guess some advice is to you sort of need your minimum amount that you need, uh, but then you also need to think about the rewards as well and how much time that's going to actually take you to to make those rewards as opposed to how much you know money that you can get. Yeah. Yeah. Would you uh would you go back to, to Kickstarter again if you needed to? I I think we we're, we're definitely a lot more learned about <laughs> Kickstarter now. Like it, it yeah. it's it's definitely it's a world. It's a it's its own world. It's its own thing. And I think there are definitely um, things about it, the processes and the and the culture. Like the, it's almost like a Kickstarter culture, and you can learn a bit more as you go about how that all works. And I would say we're far from the most learned on Kickstarter. We've we've probably yeah. on the other spec on the other end of the spectrum a lot to learn. But I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who know a lot about how to run a really, really well-planned, like, deliberate campaign that just hits all those perfect Kickstarter beats. Um, so I think there's, I think we're a lot better than we, we are were. Now. Like, we were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We learned a yeah. lot. Uh, we had some good advice from people. So um, yeah. maybe if, if I had any advice for other people, it would be to, if you can reach out to those who've already done it, obviously, and get some advice. Like, Tim was able to cultivate a bunch of great advice as we went from just people who are already in the culture. So yeah, yeah. With uh, with advice, this sort of this kind of goes back to kind of game dev a little bit, but um, being a part of the Queensland community is is it quite a tight little community? Like like, do, are you um, an active part of it? Would you say? And I guess if you do have any challenges or issues or questions or whatnot, are there people that you can kind of reach out to and go, hey, like what do you reckon or what do you think? Yeah, uh, well, Ben, I'll let you take that one. Oh, look, I'll just quickly say on my behalf, it's more, um, in my case, it's more artists, I guess, that I've known along the way. So slightly less on the kind of dev programming side. Um, and, you know, I, I have worked at a few other studios in Queensland, obviously Chrome Studios. There's another great studio on the Gold Coast called Bi The Binary Mill did games like uh, mini motor racing um things like that and you know they've definitely they're, they're a good studio and i always kind of keep in contact with those guys um but tim you you'd kind of take the next oh one. yeah i think the it's interesting i think we've like making dross we've been absolutely like really we've been quite busy i would say like in terms of lately last year and so i've kind of felt no, we haven't had as much time to go out there and you know see That's our true. friends sort of yeah. in, the, in the industry. So it's been quite insular for us just at the moment. But in saying that, uh, there there is a sort of a close knit gaming community. Uh, there's Toast as well down Gold Coast that we're friends with the, the guys down there. Uh, and you know we have asked advice from from certain people along the way. And but you know once Dross you know is released i think we'll definitely have more time to catch up with people uh 
and you catch up with them sometimes at events run by Screen Queensland or whatnot. But we would love to catch up more with people. Yeah. Before we get back into to Dross, this is this is a Dross question, but not really. But I want to talk. It's more for Ben uh, about art, and I guess what his thoughts, fears, concerns, whatever you want to say about the um, emergence of AI art. And uh, as an artist, do you not feel threatened, but do you think that this could be utilised in the right way? Are you already using it? You know, some people are like, you know, it's it's already a thing, but maybe not to the level that is being uh, spoken about, but yeah. Sure. I mean, I guess to address one of those questions is uh, no, we don't, (laughs) we haven't or don't (laughs) use it yet. Um, It's, yeah, it's a really interesting question and um, it's almost, it is interesting. Like I feel as an artist, um, you definitely do have a little bit of an ego twinge, like your ego gets a little bit of a twitch. It's like, hang on, am I being threatened here? Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think I, I'm very much a person that takes everything on its merits in terms of uh, I would, I definitely think there's something to be said, obviously, about, I mean, I still use a pencil and I paint with watercolors. So that's almost even more traditional than a lot of people I know who have never touched even traditional medium. They're 100% digital. So um, sometimes I feel it is a bit of a spectrum. Like if, if you're using tools and if those tools are gradually getting better and allowing you to create what you would define as you know works of art, um, then that's a good thing. Um, I would definitely hate to see it diminishing the artistic spirit of people. I, I think that would be my concern. The fact that, um, you know, I know as well as many artists, I'm sure how, how much work it takes. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's tiring <laughs> and, you know, it, it is, it takes your spirit, I get. Like in terms of you have to put into your art something of yourself. I would definitely say that. And if it were to diminish that, I would think that would be a shame. Um, however, I, you know, you do see, uh, you know, if it is a, a progression of tools that are gradually getting better, then that is also a cool thing. So it's it's a bit of a, it's a tricky line, definitely a tricky line. I use Unity as a good example. That, like we said before, that's our little mini production house. Whereas 20 years ago, you would have needed a much bigger team to do several of those jobs. Um, you know, like I said, I sometimes use a pencil, but then I sometimes also use a Wacom tablet. So, you know, it's if you want to do the art, create the art, the art has to be made by tools at the end of the day. So, but um, I can't see it stopping though. That's the problem. Um, and it it just leads me, I was talking about this with someone yesterday. It, it kind of leads me to consider, um, yeah, like, you know, beyond feeling bad as an artist that I'm being threatened. It's like, yeah, the, you know, what does it mean to be creative? What does it mean to see something having been produced in front of you creatively? Can a computer do that? Can it not do that? Where does it, where do you stop? Where do you draw the line? I mean, I don't know mm. any of these answers, but it, it's interesting. 
to ponder? Yeah, I, I, I would. I mean, I'm not an artist in in, the, in that sort of sense. So, <clears throat> but uh, I mean, I guess you know, there's like your AI, like your chat. Uh, what do you call it? Chat GPT. GPTs. Um, mm, yeah. You know, you know that. You know, you, you know, you're hearing more and more about bigger. Uh, more sophisticated. Just, yep. Yeah, yeah. That are, you know, that are pushing out AI-generated news or articles. So I guess it's kind of similar in that regard. But you know, um, a bit like you, with you know, there's kind of that there's that bit of everyone's personality and flair and flavor in in each of our own works, kind of thing. So exactly. you, know, you think about old games and stuff, and I, you know, you think like now. Big big AAA games, you know, they just kind of it's going to be cheaper for them, you know, just to fang in a few prompts into a whatever it is, and then push out some art um, just to you know save money. It'd be very sad if that's the way that it that it went. Which um, and you know maybe that would give a, a leg up to to um, the uh, indie devs who can kind of advertise that this is not AI, you know, art. And that's that's what you see on social media, right? It's like it's, yeah. everything's tagged, not AI, which is not AI. Yeah. Like I've tagged my stuff yeah. as not AI. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there was a big yeah. there was a big push in Art Station, the big premiere. Okay. Art Station on yeah. the. I don't know if it's still like that, but you would basically go to their main page and. You would not AI. AI. Yeah, yeah. So. No AI allowed. Because <laughs> yeah, like like you look at like a lot of these indie games and or, and like smaller devs and and older games like your Monkey Islands and that for example and like your Broken Swords and uh, there's a there's a Czech de, uh, dev team called I can never remember how to pronounce that name but it's like Amanita Design. Oh, Amanita's great, do, love it. Yeah, and they do like this amazing like you know uh, Machinarium, the little robot. Yeah, um, so cool. Peculiarly like artwork, but it's like. As soon as you see it, like you know that it's like that, it, that it's them. That's yeah, their so, style, yeah. Um, to see that kind of, as you said, like diminish, uh, you know, to have those rough edges, I guess, polished off in, in like an AI way, it'd be very, very sad to see. I think you go. You brought up something really interesting, and that is that is the rough edges, and that is that sometimes the the the, the beauty or the interest in something also comes from the limitations upon it. The imperfection and the limitations upon the project sometimes is the thing that actually gave Rose Makes to what's special inside yeah. that. And I think, you know, you know, you could, it sounds probably a silly example, but, it, you know, the, even the original Star Wars made in 77 is a yeah. great example of that. It was a, it was a production uh, under enormous limitations um, financially, creatively, but you know, look what they came up with. And then I guess the extreme example of that is to take away those boundaries and limitations. And like you said, just like the floodgates open and you can pretty much do and create anything in an instant. Like what, what do you lose with that? Yeah. Mm. It's good. I think the, there has been a little bit of pushback uh, from what I can see. Uh, I'm not fully around it, but it does seem that there is a little bit of pushback against like I think there there was that Marvel um, I can't recall what it is but that Marvel show that used the AI generated credits or whatnot at the start and that got kind of oh was it okay is, I haven't seen that yeah yet. Um, you know it's kind of this it's a similar thing to the um, voice artist thing that they were kind of uh, promoting or not promoting but they were talking about like late last year I think it was late last year and like uh, Joel not Joel Baker but yeah uh, Troy Baker. Um, 
he was kind of, you know, getting involved in it and then he actually ended up pulling his support for it because he was mm. just getting roasted. You know, so I think it, it's good that the most of the internet is kind of, you know, rallying together and fighting for you know, some uh, human elements in, in our creative works, which is, which is good. Definitely. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you to all those people. <laughs> yeah, you still need a human. Um, <laughs> but that was a very, very long-winded way to kind of just talk about the art of Dross because I do think it, it is very unique and it is quite uh, engaging um, from just uh, looking at, you know, the screenshots online and, and from playing that game and uh, sorry, from the playing the demo and I would, I would love to kind of not unpack but just get an idea of, you know, how you kind of come up with the environments and stuff and and how it all kind of like are you the lawmaster like are you the one that kind of this whole because I, mean, I think I recall at PAX this whole thing about the tower was only it's only relatively new to me um, so I don't know how much how um, how you've come up with the law and then you just you does mm. the art come around the law do you do you work it to, kind of together is is Tim right in the law yeah, I think it's it's definitely some of its parts. Tim is definitely involved in um, uh, dialogue and story as well. So I think as well, um, uh, I guess first of all, to answer that question, I'd say that I find talking to other people in the industry, um, it's really interesting that people approach world building or storytelling or creation in slightly different ways depending upon their own skills and personality so for example i you know i'm friends with uh, uh people in the industry who literally their job is writing their narration you know writing of narration and story and i think their approach to it is that they feel very comfortable about literally picking up a pad and that's the way they get their world out onto a paper through prose. Um, in my particular case, maybe it's because I'm more visual, um, I, I feel like I, uh, you know, through my art and concept art and the character art, I, I can kind of start to get that world out visually. And then I think that kind of, um, it, it kind of, um, it's like a seed that's planted, I guess, for the whole team. Um, and you know, arguably that's the point of concept art at the start of a project. You know, you want to plant a few seeds and it kind of starts to inspire everyone else and things germinate, other ideas germinate off that. And I think that's like, it's almost this cross-pollination of ideas if you've created the world. It's like if you create an environment with a certain look or texture or grunge or steampunkiness, then that informs the dialogue for a character, if you know what I mean. It's it's all kind of all one world. So, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to add to that. I was just going to say that, yeah, a lot of, like Ben was saying, a lot of the, um, even at the beginning of Drossen, it did evolve over time as well, even the initial concepts, the world, evolved, the world just evolves over time and you sort of arrive at a place where I think, uh, you know, Ben could do a concept up and then some of the characters, I, I know the world too because I've been in it for like four years or whatnot as well. And you, you just over time, you sort of the limitations of the world and also 
the law. You build up the law. It wasn't instant that it wasn't instantaneously that we were like, oh, Dross is, you know, this happens here and it, it evolves over time. And I even think if if we made a sequel, uh, it would evolve even further from there. But um, yeah, it's an interesting way of working. Ben and I sort of I do some of the dialogue. Ben also helps with dialogue characters like i might have a really cool idea for a character to go in and i can within unity i can put the character in there and but it all evolves from that initial uh sort of concept work that that ben does in the art and it inspires other ideas so um yeah that's just sort of how we're working sort of back and forth with a lot of a lot of dross as well and my wording might be a bit awkward here but everything is hand drawn everything uh, or, well, all uh, characters and st- yeah, yeah. So there's, I mean, uh, Dross is kind of a, you know, a, a hybrid, three D, two D world. Obviously, the gameplay itself yep. is a three D, uh, you know, top down almost, um, little diorama scenes. But yes, it's it's hand drawn and, um, I guess deliberately so, pushing a little bit more for that, um. Uh, what would I describe it as? Definitely arts craft. Um, what am I trying to say? Like when I create the characters as well, for example, I got really inspired or I became interested in overlaying them with like watercolor texture and a little bit of texture and grunge so that when you get to the end, there's almost like this a little bit of an illustrated storybook uh, vibe that comes out which uh, I thought just contrasts so well with being in a game world, like to have that almost, um, you know, think back to the kind of Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales of, you know, European fairy tales, that kind of darker fantasy um, illustrated look. Um, That was deliberate, definitely deliberate. So basically, um, yeah, trying to, as I said before, Dross is, it's kind of that, you know, dark, a little bit darker in fantasy in, in terms of um, content. And um, I wanted to get that back into the art as well. So like I said, it all kind of complements each other. Um, and if you, you know, obviously if you, I mentioned before inspirations like the Jim Henson films of the 80s, Dark Crystal Labyrinth, if you look back at art books of those, you will see uh, similar, you know, similar evolutions of their art direction, that kind of illustrated book look i guess <laughs> yeah from from looking at the because the artwork is probably or well, i mean you know without seeing the game first it was, it was definitely the thing that caught my caught my eye um and as probably you know with us all whether we watch a trailer we watch we see a key art we see something and then we go now nah, this looks not you know not for me but um instantly um yeah like like that that artwork really did kind of like I was like, I want to know more and, you know, and kind of learn about this game. So I think the art looks fantastic. Um, so I think you've done an amazing work. And there's um, on the on your <laughs> website homepage, there's um, these characters and they kind of, <laughs> they kind of give me vibes of like, um, that, remember, do you remember that kid's show, Are Real Monsters? It kind yeah. of like, it's, it's yeah. kind of like, like kind of gives me like those kind of vibes. Um no, it's very cool. It's very cool. I think um, it's something um, that probably even more important for indie studios is that um, if 
like to st to stand out is hard. <laughs> You've got to try something that at least, like you were saying, um, does. You know, when you put it out there, it's yeah, it's very hard to get people's attention. To capture people, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that's part of that as well. Yeah. Did you ever – this is just a question I've just thought of off the complete top of my head so I didn't even plan this, but um, uh, I guess for both of you because you've got, had that animation kind of background, did you ever – how do I phrase this question? Uh, did you ever consider Dross or, or, or a different project perhaps um, – not traditional game making so in a sense of like stop motion animation or like when you talk about like dioramas like there's a game i don't know if you have heard of a game called trooper brook which oh, is where they actually did like these brook. hand handmade sets where they were and they was oh, all were like, they clay was it clay animation or or something puppet, like that puppetry yeah, yeah something to that sort of degree where yeah they yeah. kind of did like hand uh, sorry yeah they, they built these little sets um and then basically digitally captured them or whatnot and then yeah yeah it was all um just you know you not that you're not utilizing your background but you know to kind of stand out like a little bit more mm. not saying that dross doesn't but you know to, to <laughs> no, kind I know, of i know where you're going yeah, yeah yeah to have that kind of whoa like you know you see like these handmade uh it's completely different animation to games see. and you yeah. go this looks this looks fucking sick like um, yeah I think what you're saying is interesting and I'm actually I'm seeing more of that come into the industry. So an example right now is there is a French made game that just released last week, two weeks ago maybe, called Dodogne. I can't even pronounce this. Dodogne. Oh, yeah. So I cannot yeah, pronounce um, it. It's a beautiful watercolor. Water yeah, yeah. We like, did a, a review gorgeous, on that, yeah. Gorgeous, it looks beautiful, gorgeous. yeah. Um, so I, like, there's an example, I mean, a very more of something that stands of out, you're yeah. saying, but there's something that, um, that's obviously what they did to really say, Hey, um, this is, this is beautiful. This is gorgeous. Let's push it forward. This is our, you know, this is what makes our game special. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I feel like it's something that you could. I'm just taking a guess, but you could see more of as we go. It's almost like a um, a reaction against what you were saying before about the AI concerns. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's Correct. like a deliberate move away from that. To so sort of handcrafted. Really, yeah, to embrace the other direction entirely. So, um, I mean, I guess as an artist, I'm all for it, but... <laughs> Because yeah. there, there's a game that um, I'm, I can't remember the other the other one I'm thinking of, but there's here's one that's been on my Steam wishlist for a little bit. It's called Ultra Strangeness, um, and it's again it's like that handmade um, thing where they've got these little handmade characters and pieces and you know however they manage oh, to put yeah. it into a game. Yeah, so it's all there's some super cool stuff that just pushes you know the boundaries. I guess of what we. No, you know they yeah. they they draw they they draw outside the line kind of thing. Yep, um, I think that's what we've seen uh, even with Unity. You know, and I'm sure Unreal is maybe similar, but you can I think now with Unity. Uh, so I've come from a different background of editing and, and things like that, but I can go into Unity now and do things, and I think it opens it just opens it up for other people to come into the industry and contribute and do different ideas because 
the capabilities are there now in Unity to do this stuff. So yep. I think as point. that pro- progresses as well, you'll see more. You'll see different games come out that uh, maybe more claymation, as you're saying. Someone was bringing mm. a different skill into uh, into Unity, and you don't need a team of fifty people to do it. You can do it with a team of three people or four people. Yeah. Do you? Can you see uh, Dross becoming like more of a series, or are you just kind of? It's a one game, and then we'll see what happens. I mean, I guess that's probably the, you know the case. You will see what happens, of course. But um, <laughs> is this something or an IP that you'd like to continue to to build on? I think definitely, um, yeah. I think it's that thing that we were talking about before. When you, um, and we're certainly not unique in this sense, but when you spend so much time in a world that you've created, that. Um, it, there's so many ideas and uh, you know uh, there's so Different many more things you could do on. yeah with yeah. that particular world so it's like when you've done that it's not going away you know uh, that world so Dross is going to be uh, like a- Avatar it'll be uh, how many how many has Avatar got six Dross can have seven yeah, like seven yeah. Uh, but yeah you, Maybe, well, I uh, think there's, there's a plan for DLC you know we have actually okay. a bunch of things that we've created that you know, could can fit into a, you know, a bit of DLC content as well as even ideas like we talked about, like for for a sequel, like you could definitely use the characters that we've we've sort of created and expand on those mm-hmm. ideas. The world is the world of Dross is big. Like it's not a small world. There's a lot of lore and things that we've established. So it'd be awesome to continue it. Yeah, because because I always wonder like what's the balance between working at like as you say in a, in a game for four years and just kind of getting over the same world and just you know wanting to do something fresh, new and different. Um, you know, maybe you don't quite kind of get that after one game, um, but you know, I always just wonder. You know, that you see people who are just like, no, nah, made made that game now, want to go off and do claymation, something completely different. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, like, um, just to yeah. kind of scratch a different itch. Um, different itch. You could see that happening. Maybe Josh will be something else. Maybe it'll be live action. You never know. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. It could, it could be, you know, a fighting game or something. <laughs> Drop, um, yeah, like, but uh, you could definitely see, um, you know, you do immerse yourself in a world for four years, and you know that, you know, you could see. I guess, as I said, James Cameron's different. He wants to immerse himself in, like, he <laughs> loves, he must love the world that he's created. Uh, I, I still love the world that we've created for Drosso. I wouldn't mind hanging out in it a little bit longer. But, um, yeah, you could definitely see if you spent, you know, 20 years in some, something you'd want to. Yeah. Something completely different, but, yeah. Um, no, yeah, it, it was more like you kind of said, you know, you think of these ideas and then, you go to a, put it into Dross, for example, and you're like, "This doesn't really work for Dross," but you know, I'll put that away in the in the bank yeah. for another day, kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I did have another question that I thought of just then, but I have also forgotten that. So I'll just I'll ask a pretty basic one: uh, How long are you expecting a average playthrough of Dross to kind of be? So interesting. That's actually yeah. a really good question. Even though we're towards average the end, end of not a not a emerge worlds playthrough. What's 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 the average playthrough? Well, there's forty different stages in Dross, uh, and you know the average time 
an average playthrough, you know, with some, yeah, it, it varies a lot because uh, you can either get all of the collectibles or you can just go through the game. I think we were, you know, some some the summaries of like time that we've sort of figured out, you know, uh, like it's, it's definitely over like the eight or nine hour playtime. Uh, people, but you can spend a lot longer in the game than that. Mm. People we've, that we've want, want to unlock all, unlock all the lore and everything have been spending, I think it was 15 hours in just the first 10 or 9 stages. So uh, it can really increase the more that you want to find out and explore in, in each stage. So, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I guess that was one of the things that we wanted to achieve and that was, it seems like, Potentially, we have somewhat in terms of um, this idea of um, a little diorama that has more to it than it appears. Okay, so that I think that was a pretty early on a, an idea we were thinking about that you could go into here, and maybe at a glance it's like a little small little area, but that it almost unravels. It kind of unravels with the amount that you can find and explore and do there and um yeah we've kind of at least with a lot of game testing we've done we've found that that has kind of um come to be true in some cases so it's quite cool yeah the with the lore i guess and the stuff and the collectibles is there a um uh how is dross more of a environmental storytelling kind of game like 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 the lore you pick up is does it go into like a journal or a scrapbook or it what does other... yeah okay all right yeah, yeah it, no, um cool. oh, i'll let ben, ben talk no, no, about that you go because... i mean you're oh, you I know just, you've played the game say, enough um, now, you know? i've played it i have played it just once though uh, <laughs> no many times uh yeah the, all the um as i said we're trying to encourage exploring and so there's lots of things in each stage that uh unlocks uh law that goes into a journal so it goes into a journal, everything, all the, um, it's like a storybook, I guess, where you can flick through the pages and you can actually, uh, when you unlock something, it reveals different elements of the world. So character story arcs about characters you meet along the way. Uh, it reveals things about just environmental things uh, inside the tower, like creatures and uh, you know, and also it can reveal things about some of the collectibles that you get. Uh, they all have store backstories and stories to tell as well. So it's all sort of housed within a, a journal that you can open up and browse through at any any sort of time. Uh, ben, yeah, I don't know if you've got anything to mm. add to the, the journal, but yeah. I think when you have a small team with lim limited resources and you come across that question, which is, hey, we want to really flesh out this world and tell a cool story, but we don't have access to 20 animators in the back room. <laughs> you know, we don't have that at our disposal. Um, AI. The, yeah, AI <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this is, it's, this is exactly it's what I was talking about a bit, coming up against limitations. And so we were like, this is a world we want to develop and bring more to life. How do we do it? in a low, lower scope way that people could still go through the game and have more story and learn more without, you know, needing all these people blowing our scope, blowing our 
budget. Um, how do we design this such that you could flow through? And for those people that do want to learn more, you could just learn more as you go and get these little tidbits of law. And, and this was perfect. Like this was our decision that that's how we do it. We have this journal that I liken to like a, like a 18th century um, naturalist on the Galapagos Islands. Galapagos, I should say. Gala yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, Galapagos Islands, an 18th century like naturalist's book. And, and you're kind of going through and you're making notes, scribbly rough notes about what you see and who you meet and what kind of crazy strange animals and plants you see. You know, that's I think that's a pretty close analogy. So you basically, as you go through, you're filling this in. Yeah. Cool. The um, <clears throat> one question I was like, mm, do I ask this question? Do I not? But I think you know we have a pretty good, pretty good good chemistry. So I'm I'm feeling pretty safe to kind of <laughs> throw this question out there. But uh, I've always wondered what the um, background was of the name because if you think about that word in the English language. That game, yeah, dross has yeah. a you know if you if you put an extra yep. s on the uh, end of it, it kind of means rubbish, um, yep. or, or bad. So you know, I guess where where did the name come from? Mm. So there's a um, kind of in the backstory. There's this al idea of alchemy. Alchemy is a core kind of story thread throughout the entire story, and um, I guess early on when we were designing the game you know I was coming up with what do what do enemies look like what do the you know antagonists look like in this world and um, I was looking through alchemy lore like literally reading history and books and I saw that when you perform a alchemical transmutation that rightly so what's ever left at the bottom is this black is this kind of gunky leftover Dude. called dross it's actually called Dross. And so that stuck, <laughs> literally. That became yeah. our that became our enemies, basically. And, and our, it, it, yeah, yeah, little Dross and, as well. And the, the little character. Dross as well. So um, that's how the origins, but yeah. I would just say something, add, add to that. It's like, um, yeah, Dross, uh, you know, they are in the tower. They're, they're, the, they're the beings in the tower that uh, I don't think I'm giving away too much, but the alchemists. Uh, gets to do do his dirty work, gets to work for him. He can control them. So uh, it definitely has origins in alchemy and it's the stuff that's left over, the dross. So it, it does literally mean sort of what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a, I think there's also like if you play the game through, there's this, if you go through the stages, there's this idea where um, what you'll notice is um, it doesn't play traditionally. It doesn't really play like a medieval RPG at all. That's not the tone of the game. The, the none of the NPCs talk like that. It's there's a very kind of a little bit of this modern sensibility. Absurd. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a there's this idea where from top to bottom, from the top of the tower, from the stinkiest sewer to the top of the tower, everyone's trying to rise up themselves. Everyone's trying to do their own thing. Everyone's got their own struggle, right? Everyone has got their own struggle. They're trying to do their best to somehow rise up. And that's I think that's a pretty core cool theme as well, yeah. Yeah. 
just a, a couple more before we before we wrap it up. Um, this is kind of a dross question, a Mertwell's question. Uh, what's what's kind of the biggest challenges that you've faced uh, with designing dross and, and I guess just running running Emerge Worlds? Uh, I guess uh, I'll take that to start with and Ben, you can finish it off. But uh, yeah, challenges, uh, um, I think some of the challenges we've faced are with the team. Uh, having a, a small team, it, it's almost like having uh, identify your role within that team. I think early on you're, you're still trying to find your place uh, within the team, and and you and you start to delve in areas that maybe you know, you know you might not be great in. And in saying that, we have learnt a lot along the way. And I think one thing that we did learn across the process is defining team roles. Like uh, I might do one part of the game, Dion, you know, will take care of this. Ben will take care of that, and that's actually helped us along the way. I think that does take a little bit of time to figure out. Um, when you first start a game, because each game will be different and you'll all be doing different things. So um, that took us a little bit to figure out at the beginning, I think. Uh, and as well as uh, just some other sort of points being a small studio, I guess, it's sort of like um, like what Ben was saying, your limitations, like recognising where you might not have that skill, uh, like an, a dedicated animator within your studio how can you, uh, you know, use your resources to still convey what you want to convey but in a different way? And I think we did that better along the way as well. Uh, instead of trying to dabble in something that you might not be good at, you either could maybe find someone to help you, like outsource the task or figure out a different way of doing it. Uh, so that's something we learn along the way as well. Uh, there's so many things we've been learning. You're constantly learning. And the other thing I think coming up to the end of the project, the challenge has been that Screen Australia has really helped us with and Screen Queensland is just the funding behind it uh, and making sure that, um, yeah, you use all of the, that money to, to its best possible use case and not wasting it in certain areas, which... I think we've been pretty good with that from the beginning, but we, we have learned to get better at that as well. Uh, and so that, that's also a challenge is, you know, where's the money coming from? I could see a, a studio running into a problem if you don't have that experience with money. You could be given an initial sum of money, but your idea might be massive. You're like, your idea might need 15 people to work on it and the money is going to run out really quickly, whereas I think something that we've learned to do is um, we've made a few sacrifices financially along the way, Ben, you know, we have, but um, we've learned to use that money and make sure it can get us sort of to the finish line and not spend it on things early on that we we didn't need to. So they're just a couple of the things. There's heaps more. Ben, I don't know what you've learned along the way. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the, the idea of bang for buck is 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 really crucial and especially for a small team with limited resources it's like um if you can you know it's like an artist if you can get that stroke on the canvas right the first time or you know make sure that's as it's got as much um it's got as much chance to be successful as possible then you know that really makes things better and um i think we've definitely got better at that i think a challenge definitely is same as any other indie studio, it's just um, continually staying in a certain um, scope and 
um, you know, setting for yourself the um, boundaries of the world and the game, and and you'll find as you go, you you drift and wander, and yeah, you keep bringing yeah. yourself back. And I think that's, I think someone asked me this last time, and I think that's what I said as well. It's like if you can establish a, that core idea, and also the world, if you've built a world and the law then it's, it helps you along that period of production time to realize it's like you're going along, but then it's like, we are drifting a little, let's bring it back. And if you can keep bringing it back right until launch day, it really helps, yeah, to stay true, I guess. So, yeah. So, speaking of launch, uh, you're launching in, you know, like we said, less than two weeks, or just basically two, two weeks. Yeah. Um, how's, the, uh, how's the nerves? How's the excitement? <laughs> how's the... Yeah, it's definitely, uh, oh, look, we hope, you know, we've had some early uh, people, you know, play the beta of Dross and they've loved it. Every, like, every, oh, we love it. You know, we didn't realise it has all the, I think one of the elements that we added into Dross was like a lot of humour that maybe in some of our sort of, um, it doesn't come across, it's hard to get across the humour that is in the world in some of the social media posts that we've done and things like that on Twitter. And uh, that's been one thing that has surprised people. Like, oh, we didn't realise it ha- it, it's actually really funny. It's got all of these really weird and strange characters that you meet along the I, I way as well. Like and, a good way yeah, so that's that been cool. Like if, if someone were to skip their way through Dross, skip, 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 then they would actually, yeah, they'd miss a really really important part wouldn't they Tim it's like yeah some of the humour it's quite wacky some of the other um, you know not to go on too long but some of the other influences were like Mighty Boosh and Monty Python and it's got that side of it so I I guess in terms of lead up to launch uh, yeah it is a bit of a um, nerve wracking time we're we're still doing a few small tweaks obviously to the to the game Uh, but also as, as a small team a challenge as well is to Know, get it out to all the stores as well, not just Steam, but GOG as well, and continue to, I guess, build up some social media marketing presence as well along the way. So we don't have, we don't have long to go, but we're still you know trying you know get get Dross out there to as many uh, people as possible. It's interesting, uh, and this is a question again. I just uh, just thought of this, but you're gonna you're gonna be doing it on multiple platforms. Was that um, something that you decided maybe halfway through towards the end or was that, you know, early days you were like got to be on X, Y, Z uh, as opposed to just Steam? I think um, that was, we were definitely more early on. We had, oh, it was Switch and where uh, Xbox and PlayStation, that, you know, that's where we're going and PC, you know, Steam. Uh, it's more, I think it's been you know, come a little bit later in the process, like GOG and Epic and those those stores like that. Uh, so our focus is still sort of in on Steam and, you know, or sorry, getting the PC version, you know, as stable as it can be, and then, uh, you know, getting, getting it onto the other platforms as well. Because we've actually had people with our Kickstarter say, oh, when's the game on GOG? And, like, when's the game, you know, when's it coming out there? And we're like, okay, we actually have to get Dross on the other platforms as well. Uh, so it's come a little bit later in the process, I would say. Yeah. Uh, the other question I had, but we, we kind of, it, I didn't manage to squeeze it in earlier, was just um, with Dross, have you ever had any conversations with like publishers or has it always been 
we're going to self-publish this all the way through kind of thing? I think we've had, we have had conversations with publishers, yeah, along the way. Uh, it's interesting earlier on we, you know, had an influx of publishers come to us and uh, the, the game was in a little bit of a different state then as well uh, in terms of, you know, we've made a lot of improvements to, to, to the game along the way. So I think, and we've had more recent conversations as well with publishers, you know, much more recently. Uh, it's always been, I think we have ourselves fairly, you know, a clear plan of what we want to do. And I guess as the publishers coming on to assist you in your plan, uh, yeah, it's always been a sort of a balancing act on, on how they can help you and, and what you can do. Uh, our plan has generally been to ourselves, you know, get get to the end and self-launch. And as I said, if a publisher could have helped you along the way that, that would fit into our team, that would have helped. But, um, you know, I think at this stage, I'm not going to say anything about like the consoles or whatnot, but at this stage for PC, it's, yeah, we're, we're taking it all the way. We're, scary, but it's, it's cool. We're cool. Gl- we're gluttons for punishment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, just because some of the responses and the the off mic conversations is that you know a lot of no that's probably probably unfair but some uh, publishers or some some deals uh, don't really benefit you at all. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, that's you've true. done all this that's hard true. work. You, yeah, you've done a lot of hard. You've done four years of hard work, and then and then they're going to come and take come the majority and, of the cart, and then blah blah yep, blah. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's that it's that balance, like you kind of said, of of it gives you financial support to do dross to or do whatever it may. Yeah, be or to you're get do. it out to more people as well, like yeah. to get to take a bit of that yeah. load off of getting yeah. it, getting it out as well. Yeah. There's I, yeah I balance. I was, yeah. I was just going to say as well some related to that is we had already self-ported our previous game on all the you know that the whole idea of getting into these stores and knowing like finances store assets getting that already is a massive job is a massive job and you know we've we're pretty good at it now so um you know and, and that's in terms of like QA testing as well, we've done a lot of that ourselves. So I think we just kind of, like I say, we're probably gluttons for punishment, but we've just assumed yeah. a lot. I think we chatted to a lot of publishers and it found they, they kind of, we found the conversation going with guys, what do you need? And a lot of these things we found we could actually do ourselves. So yeah. like you say, it's, it's kind of a value proposition at the end of the day. All righty. Well, two weeks until launch. What's uh, yep. launch comes? What's uh, I mean, we've kind of discussed it, but you know, what is what is next for Emerge Well? So you know, where do you see the company in twelve months? Oh, look, uh, launch happens. Uh, hopefully, we pop a bottle of champagne at some point. But we are <laughs> we are actually, uh, of course, game development never ends. In terms of it, doesn't stop with the launch. We'll be fixing things. You know, we know we know we have plans for a bit of a roadmap for Dross as well going ahead for DLC and stuff like that. So I guess just what I'm sort of seeing like, yeah, we'll release Dross, we'll, you know, do a whole bunch of updates, potentially some DLC, but also getting it onto Switch, getting it onto Xbox and PlayStation. And localization as well. 
definitely. That's localization. That we, yeah. We thought Kickstarter may have come to the, you know, the party. We we did have have that as one of our latest stretch goals. We didn't quite get there, but um, yeah, localization would be high on our priority as well. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, it's just launching in English, but we will get it out to the major major languages. But um, yeah, so it's exciting months ahead with development on Dross for us. Awesome. Well, we can't wait to see what, how the game turns out. I'm sure we'll uh, have a review up there Great. Uh, on the website. So, But no, thank you, uh, Tim and Ben. Thank you heaps for Thanks, joining Zach. me today yeah. and thank you, having Zach. a chat. Um, yeah, look forward to seeing what comes next from from you guys and, and the team up there. Awesome. And uh, can't wait to, yeah, check out Dross. So thanks again. Thanks uh, for having us. I mean, us. I, don't know, I, I don't know if you want to plug any socials or anything. Oh, look, uh, follow Dross on, you know, we've got quite a few, a bit of a base on Twitter. Uh, so, and a lot of updates, you know, we put put onto the Twitter. Uh, Dross Game, I yep, think is Dross the Game handle for that. Uh, Discord, you know, once you're on the Twitter Love you to jump into our Discord uh, and and uh, jump in there and contribute to some of the community in there as well. So uh, you can find the link link for that in Twitter as well. I'm just going to add any any content creators. We're putting the shout out to any content creators who are just keen on on playing a build. Uh, yeah. Love to, love you to get in contact. Uh, jump on our website, drossgame.com. Get in touch yes. and yeah, we'll we'll send you a key if you can. Awesome. Sweet. Oh, thanks, thanks uh, everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. And we'll see you guys at PAX. Oh, oh God, I hope oh. so. Yeah. No. Uh, oh, this year? When's it happening well, this year? Maybe next year. Yeah. No, no, we'll, we'll try and get there, definitely. We'll catch up for a Fosters. A Fosters. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'll thanks be there so. with bells on my. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Zach.